1: Brought to you by BASF. We create chemistry.
2: Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Studio 1.0 postseason straight from the tech team at Bloomberg News. I'm Emily Chang here with Brad Stone, our global head of tech at Bloomberg. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Emily. So first we have to talk about Silicon Valley. And I don't mean Silicon Valley. I mean the hit show, Silicon Valley. And if you haven't seen the first episode of season three yet, you might want to check it out because I think you'll see a couple familiar faces.
3: Emily, if you want me to participate in this podcast, you're going to have to talk to my Hollywood agent now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, if you missed it, Brad and I had a teeny tiny little cameo, less than 2.5 seconds on Silicon Valley. But I think it was probably... The highlight of my life
3: uh you were two and a half seconds i think i was uh point uh <laughs> point five generously
2: but uh we were directed by mike judge and we're actually gonna be speaking with mike judge uh the director alec berg executive producer and dick costello who uh, was in the writers room this season and uh, lent them some uh, expert advice about how things in silicon valley really work and of course dick costello was ceo of twitter He's now moved on. He's now a venture capitalist, and he's starting his, his own thing, but uh, an improv comedian by background. So I think it was also his dream job.
3: <laughs> I got to say, the, the series on HBO is hilarious so far. It's been really fun to watch.
2: Yes, I, I, I love it. And I love how Silicon Valley, the real Silicon Valley, has embraced the satire of Silicon Valley.
3: It's so exaggerated. I, p- people tend to talk about really? it's it as too real. Like
2: it can, honestly, it feels kind of real to me. <laughs>
3: It's, it's there's a reason why it's satire. It's it's an exaggerated version of reality, and that makes it tremendously fun.
2: Well, uh, we're going to address all of that uh, coming up with Mike Judge, Alec Berg, and Dick Costolo. But first, I want to talk about Gary Vaynerchuk, who has slightly fewer followers on Twitter than uh, Dick Costolo himself, uh, but a huge social media. Presence. He recently came to the studio to speak with us. He's the CEO and co founder of the digital branding agency Vayner Media, but also an investor, author, and serial entrepreneur. Um, He was an early investor in Twitter, in Facebook, in Tumblr, uh, so he's got a lot of interesting views across all of these platforms. Um, And I want to start on Twitter because he thinks that the product really hasn't evolved much over the last. Five years and needs to make some pretty gigantic changes.
3: That's right. And he seems to have some faith in uh, Jack Dorsey to turn it around, but uh, you know, what what struck me uh, from this discussion was how he was talking about how personal Twitter is to him and how it was really his first, uh, you know, kind of social discovery platform and how he's built this huge following and now feels very invested in its continued success. He also mentioned their NFL deal and talked a little bit about, and I, I maybe disagreed with this a little bit, how big that streaming, those acquiring the streaming rights to the Thursday night games from the NFL would be. He said, we're going to look back at that in 10 years and remember it as a turning point. You know, to me, the turning point in, in digital media will be when it's an exclusive right and they're no longer broadcast on on traditional cable, um, you know. Twitter only paid $10 million for these rights. And there's a reason, because people still want to watch uh, football on their big screen TVs.
2: There's another interesting part of this conversation. And, you know, we've all talked about the 140-character limit. Should they keep it? Should they lose it? And Jack Dorsey had said they're experimenting with, you know, removing the limit, but later came out and said, nope, we're sticking with it. And Gary Vaynerchuk comes right out and says, that's wrong. That's wrong. They need to get rid of that limit, and that's what will make Twitter improve.
3: You know, this is the problem with Twitter being a public company right now with so many short-term investors. You know, it I'm sure Jack might want to experiment like that, but what do you do when suddenly your monthly active users uh, falls through the basement, your revenue goes down because you're in the middle of... You know, three years of rethinking and rebuilding the platform. This is why maybe Twitter right now, if it wants to, you know, undertake something dramatic like getting rid of the 140 character limit and maybe alienating its most loyal users, its biggest users who who like that limit and have grown used to it, maybe they need to be a private company.
2: And this, by the way, is a very Twitter-themed episode because we're also going to be hearing from uh, Biz Stone, co-founder of Twitter, who co-founded Twitter with Jack Dorsey and Ev Williams, and is incredibly bullish. On uh, Jack and the future of the product, but one thing he says, uh, and you'll hear this a bit later on, is that Jack doesn't think in quarters, he thinks in decades. Um, And so, you know, if if you're waiting for changes tomorrow, it's not going to happen.
3: Well, (laughs) Jack's (laughs) investors are probably thinking in terms of quarters. So, you know, we saw with Marissa Meyer at Yahoo, not that the two uh, examples are completely parallel, but you know, there's a little bit of a honeymoon with a new CEO, particularly one with with as much credibility that Jack has. But after a while, those investors turn, you know, turn aggressive and the stock price is down. And, you know, you might have after too long an activist shareholder situation or some other pressure that's going to force him to make some quick changes.
2: But first, let's take a listen to what Gary Vaynerchuk had to say. We actually started by speaking with him about his latest book in which he says that CEOs are completely responsible for everything that happens in their companies, 100% and i asked him whether he would apply that same theory to twitter and jack dorsey take a listen
0: no because he's not been in place long enough i don't think 6 what months fault or is it? You know, listen, I think Dick is one of the, first of all, one of my favorite human beings I've ever met, but look, if we're gonna go on this thesis, he had a nice long run, and the product didn't innovate enough. Now again, this is why I don't like blanket statements. I don't know if Dick had to deal with all the dynamics on the board, you know, all the original founders. Maybe he was crippled by the politics, I don't know. But the product did not change for five years. It lost the tension of the end consumer. That is what all of these people trade on. Um, I don't think it's his, definitely not Jack's fault because he's only been back for a few minutes, Um, but they have to make moves. I mean, I think the product has real flaws. I'm sitting with you right now because of Twitter. Right. Twitter put me on the map.
2: You were an early
0: investor? Early investor from the outgoing CTO, so that's how I got in. It's a
2: huge platform for you?
0: It changed my life. It is like my high school crush. I will never, I I sit here sad, I wish it was better. I have a lot of leverage on it. I don't want it to go away but no question the attention of the end consumer, I can get a lot more accomplished through my Snapchat or Instagram which have much smaller followers than my Twitter because the attention isn't there. So
2: what would you like to see happen with Twitter? They they just bought streaming rights for NFL games. Not sure if that's going to have a big impact. That's
0: going to have a huge impact on the television industry because it's going to start making everybody understand that Netflix is not the only over the top network. (sighs) Once, okay. people, once people really understand what's happening here, which is Facebook and Snapchat are equally dangerous for ABC, NBC, Bloomberg Television, and everybody else, because anybody can now play over the top on the internet, I think it's a monument, I actually think the Twitter NFL deal is something we'll all look back on 15 to 20 years from now as one of the important moments of where the world was going. So that's good. Okay. I think they have to kill the 140 character limit. I think it's a romantic thing. But he already
2: said he's, he's keeping I, it.
0: I disagree with him. Mm-hmm. He might be right, you know, but I, I disagree. I think it's a romantic point of view from a restriction of mobile devices years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to have a stream. I think they need to have a newsfeed. I think they have to curate the content. I think So
2: wh- moments isn't enough? What do you mean by a stream?
0: I think it should default into not showing you everything. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to go the other way, cool. And then I think when something actually happens, which is what Twitter's best for, they should go to the old school breaking news and go back to old Twitter. Mm. So if I was running product, I would go to a curated feed, which is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. It's it's proven, that's what has to happen. What Facebook and Instagram is doing is right. It keeps people on it longer. This is just data, it's not right. my opinion. Well they
2: have moved toward algorithmic timeline. Not as default. Mm.
0: So I think they go their default. You and I are capable of switching it back on if we're so good at curating our lists. Yeah. And then when there's a world incident or a big game, I think they can go into breaking news and open it back up to be the water cooler Mm. that it actually is. Mm. That's my two cents.
2: What about Facebook? Facebook making a big play for live which you know you you normally think of Twitter as live. Um, Now they're paying publishers to do live video on Facebook and Facebook has by all accounts been winning at almost everything whether it's video and advertising. Because
0: it's the best.
2: Well and because. You know, so, A, can they win it live? And, you know, there's a new uh, report out today that publishers have actually seen traffic decline on Facebook. Um,
0: I, um, I don't know if there's a company I'm more bullish on. Mm. I, uh, there, I don't know if there's a management team that I have more confidence in. Mm. You know, I knew those guys and gals super early on. I'm not super close to it. I'm just watching it from a now. You also now.
2: invested early on? Um, not
0: that early. 19 billion. It would have been better. <laughs> it's good. It would have been way better, uh, you know, if it was a little earlier. I think Mark Zuckerberg offering $3 billion for Snapchat 18 months ago has to, for anybody who's watching this right now, solidify him as one of the strongest CEOs of this generation. He understands attention better than anybody. I'm so blown away by the way he's navigated as a, he's a kid, how old is he, 31? He's, i have 35. He's still
2: far younger than both of us. Let yeah, he,
0: he's, un- he's dramatically more emotionally intelligent than people realize. His people skills are really strong, which is translated into social network. Of course Facebook can win on live. Do you know what kind of scale of attention Facebook has? Now, of course some people have seen declining uh, traffic from Facebook because a lot of people put out crap like, if you're putting out crap, people aren't going to share it and put it out. And so, you know, just like people have seen declining of open rates in email over the last 10 years, because a lot of you send out spam. So I think that there's plenty of people that are seeing increase of Facebook traffic. I see this every day. We at VaynerMedia manage mm-hmm. thousands of pa- hundreds of pages. And so um, I'm very bullish on Facebook. I mean, Facebook and Instagram are two of the three platforms that are dominating people's attention. So what about
2: Snapchat? Does Snapchat... The other one. Change the social media landscape. You came in here, Snapchat.
0: Absolutely, Snapchat is the absolute darling Mm -hmm. of the dance right now. I do believe that it's proven, to at least one man's point of view, that it will age up. I fully Mm -hmm. sit here comfortable predicting that in 24 months, a lot more of your grandmothers and older uncles are going to be on it.
2: Could Snapchat kill Twitter? I mean, is is, (sighs) what 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 does Snapchat threaten? Right, there?
0: Everybody. Mm -hmm. All they're playing for is attention. Snapchat threatens this,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: this show. Snapchat threatens the magazine over there. Snapchat threatens the billboard that's highly overpriced right out there right now because everybody in the passenger seat is looking at their phone. All of these people are playing for the same thing. It's a attention arbitrage. And Snapchat is the first thing to come along in a long time since Instagram that is a real beast of attention play. Brought to you by BASF.
1: We create chemistry.
2: You've been listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, CEO and co founder of VaynerMedia, and very bullish there on Snapchat, who uh, he thinks that Snapchat's going to destroy pretty much everyone.
3: That's right. Basically making the point that uh, Snapchat and all social media is just com- competing for attention uh, and that the billboard by the highway or the magazine and the doctor's office is kind of losing the battle now because we're all buried in our phones. And that's, that sounds right to me. Although, you know, these things tend to not go away. We, we just like the theme of the last 10 years is that it all competes for our attention. And as a result, uh, the prices that these traditional forms of media have commanded in
2: the past have to come down. Now what's interesting about Snapchat is yes, astronomical growth, yes, mind share, but the product just isn't that great. And and users will say this, they love it, but it's really not that intuitive.
3: Emily, I'm 45 years old. I I disagreed with every word in the sentence that you just said. Uh, But um, I feel like, you know, it's it's a visceral sense, but Snapchat has a lot of momentum right now. And it's built such credibility with, you know, younger users that we're getting to the point where us old folks are going to have to kind of figure it out.
2: Okay, now let's take a listen to Biz Stone, co-founder of Twitter, also co-founder of Medium, and... His new thing, Jelly, which he believes will be the search engine of the future. Actually, his his new CEO job. His new old
3: thing, right?
2: His new old thing. So it's been a couple of years in the making. They've uh, gone back to the drawing board a couple of times, and now they're out with a new version that they believe is even better than before. And the idea is you're asking real humans, uh, not an algorithm, uh, to answer questions for you. You don't get a bunch of links. You just get one answer. So for example, you, you say, who is Netanyahu? And the answer will be, well, he's a controversial fellow and the prime minister of Israel. Um, you know, one, of the, one of the comparisons that Biz has made is that he thinks Jelly is a lot like Amazon Echo, which has been getting rave reviews. And, uh, and that's where we started, that the future of search will be more like Amazon Echo and based on voice. Take a listen. You say this is a new kind of search yes. engine. Why would I use this instead of Google?
4: Well, it doesn't search the web. So, there's a there's a very significant percentage of questions and queries that are way better answered than a person, especially when you are asking the wrong question. You know, only a, only Jelly can tell you, "Hey, you asked the wrong question." Like, "Hey, where is Mission Street?" "Well, where are you trying to go?" "I'm trying to go to so and so." "Oh, you don't want Mission. There's a big thing going on in Moscone and you you should go on Howard or whatever." oh okay well what I really wanted to know then is where's Howard you know like but, but a, a web search engine will just keep telling you all day long what you asked you so
2: uh, let me give you an example my producer Candy typed in who is Netanyahu she got an answer in about thirty minutes, but it was a funny answer.
4: It's kind of a long g- time, but yeah.
2: He's the prime minister of Israel, a controversial fellow. But to be fair, this is a really hard job. <laughs> it took a little. It took a little while, though.
4: Yeah, I mean, what we're what we're saying is that's a feature, not a bug, because it does. Web search likes to say, like, okay, we got you 100 million results in 0.35 seconds, which is great. But then you have to actually look through the results and spend time and click on them and look at them and get some semblance of an answer. So you actually spend several minutes in your in your search. Well, what we're trying to do is say, listen, it takes 13 seconds to ask the question. Put your phone down, keep talking to the person, keep have lunch with your family, whatever. We'll do the work for you, and then when the phone dings or whatever, here's your answer. It's an answer on demand and I we think the future of search is you ask a question you just get an answer so we're gonna close that gap from you know you got 30 minutes 10 or 15 minutes down to a second eventually mm-hmm. and we're starting with people, we're starting with just people who know the answers and will ask and you'll very often get that extra information which is helpful.
2: You say it's like search using Amazon Echo, explain that to me.
4: Well I'm just I'm envisioning a world in which uh, voice is the main UI. So if you've ever seen the movie Her, the guy's like not the falling in love with the AI, but even before that, he's got a little thing in his ear and he's just like, email, next, delete. Yeah, okay, read that one to me. And, and, and when you ask, when you ask, Alexa question mm-hmm. which I love. I love Alexa. It's cool. Everybody it is should buy a work in
2: progress. Oh my god, that's everyone cool. should
4: buy one. It's so great. But I've welcomed her into my home. She's at the she's at dinner with us, like we're talking about how far away is Mars? But if you ask her something like, what's that name of that tech company that all those what's the name of that a club that all those tech guys go to in San Francisco? She's just like ba doom boom. Or like, <laughs> I don't know. And a person will be like, Oh, that's called the battery and it's a club and a restaurant, and right. I've been there before, and it's mostly self-congratulatory so <laughs> you know like,
2: you guys have been working on this uh, a couple of years. you've gone back to the drawing board, you've added new features. How many actual the, people are behind the scenes and how much of this is AI and bots like what's the technology?
4: Well, the first version was totally well we've always had eight people and five engineers, which is not enough, um, especially for this grandiose vision we now have of the future of search but the first version was very much tied to your social ID, which turns out wasn't a great idea, uh, because think about it, right. if if your Googles were your tweets, how many Googles would you really do, you know what I mean? So, um, But asking on Twitter is great if you're willing to expose your question. I mean, you saw it, I saw it, I, I have a huge network on Twitter, I, I get great answers, but not to answers that I don't want people to know. Them. So. This time around, there's a lot more computer science in it. There's the first, the first thing that is, there's a layer of AI that will determine whether or not it's actually a real question. Um, and then it passes it through to the next layer, which is it categorizes the question. It adds topics to the question. And then it, then it's routed with our algorithm to people who are also tagged with things that they know. Um, and so it's, it gets sent to the right people and those people you don't know those people they just know they just have experience with the thing you're asking about
2: so let's talk a little bit about Twitter um, the stock is down significantly since the last earnings report it's down over the last it is it is it's down over the last uh, six months since Jack took over as CEO why do you think uh, investors aren't feeling it
4: six months is a really short amount of time in the long scheme of things I mean Twitter's been around for 10 years it takes a long time to to, like take over as CEO and turn the ship around. It's not like an overnight thing. I, I think Wall Street thinks in quarters and and you know people like Jack they think in decades. They think decades ahead. So if it's maybe it's down now or whatever but he's got these long term plans like Jeff Bezos does you know. He, don't invest in us if you don't like it. But I'm gonna like I'm building a company of enduring value, and um, you'll see in ten years how great it is. You know, so I I'm with Jack on this. Like, he seems to have gone into some kind of time chamber with like a, a master CEO advisor and come out after forty years, only two years older, and he's great. He's like super good at this now.
2: So. You think it'll take a decade? I mean, how long? Will no, it, it
4: won't take a decade. But you know, it could take longer than six months. I mean, give it a couple of years, and um, I'm holding on to my equity. That's for sure. Um, Jack is—it's so great that Jack is back. I'm just so happy because the combination of him and Adam Bain are just gonna. This thing is gonna. I mean, this, the world needs Twitter. It's not going away. It's—it's it's a. It's now a staple. It can't be un needed anymore you know what I mean it's like once it's there it's there and it's it's only gonna get better and grow and everything else so it's just a temporary thing so
2: Facebook is now getting into live Twitter you know th- though for the last 10 years has been the place for yeah live but Facebook has incredible resources yep. to scale this do you think that Twitter can grow significantly bigger than it is right now or is it is it fine as a smaller platform for influencers and is that just what it
4: becomes. Well, both are true, but I always thought of, um, it's funny because Jason Goldman, a friend of mine who used to work at Twitter and work with me at Google, he always accuses me of spinning things, but I just think I have a positive attitude. So you know, when when people say like, well, Twitter only has 300 and something million people using the service and Facebook has one point something billion people using the service, I'm like, great that's how many more people can use Twitter. Like, you know, <laughs> like, there you go. That's the number, uh, that's the number Twitter can grow to. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, are you spinning this? I'm like, no, that's just, uh, that's an aspirational number that we have to reach.
2: What about Snapchat? What about Instagram? Which we're, we're also seeing surpass yeah. Twitter in terms of users.
4: I don't know. I don't, I actually don't know. I, I use Instagram because I like to put the little filters and stuff on there. but. I kind of stopped using it because my pictures were always of my kid and people were complaining like really is this all you're going to do and I was like pretty much. Um, so I use it a lot less now because it's the same thing every single time, like look at Jake, isn't he cute? Um, but I, you know everything grows, everything you know, everything grows, some things fall, you know it depends on the value, if it's delivering value it's here to stay. Twitter delivers value because historically, getting the information first is key. It, it makes you win. And you know, the same thing with Jelly. Getting the information, the right information, the, 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 the good quality answers rather than just you know, looking through results, you win. You know what I mean? You get through life. So that, that's here to, that whole idea of value is here to stay.
2: You've been listening to Biz Stone, co-founder of Twitter, Medium, and Jelly, and presenting a completely different view of Twitter and its future than what we heard earlier, Brad, from Gary Vaynerchuk.
3: That's right. I think it's fair to say that Biz at this point is an optimistic investor. And it really was a stark contrast. Gary Vaynerchuk saying that Twitter is desperately in need of an update, that it is threatened by all these other social platforms, and really at risk of going away if it doesn't make serious changes. And Biz was saying... Uh, the opposite, that the world needs Twitter and that, you know, Jack is a great leader and just stay tuned. And it's it's optimistic. I think the numbers right now show, you know, he talks about that those billion people that are on Facebook and not on Twitter. He sees it as an opportunity. You know, the problem is that a lot of those people have tried Twitter and they've left. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the challenge is to go get them back.
2: Now, to the interview you've all been waiting for and the show that made Brad and I Hollywood Stars Silicon Valley, we've got Mike Judge, uh, executive producer of Silicon Valley, along with Alec Berg, executive producer, and Dick Costolo, former CEO of Twitter, who got to sit in the writers' room this season and help them as they shape their story. Take a listen.
5: When we started sort of doing the research for this season, we talked to a lot of different people about, well, what would actually happen if a guy like Richard got fired from a company like that? Mm. And it was really interesting, all of the engineers that we talked to, we said, would the company work without Richard there? And they're like, no, of course not. It's an engineering-based company. It would never work. And then we talked to VCs, and they were like, yeah, we get rid of founders all the time. What's the problem? So everybody had a very different idea of what reality would be.
2: So, uh, Dick Costello, what was the dose of reality that you brought to the writer's room?
6: As I was saying uh, earlier, before we were on air, it would be hard to understate my influence on anything <laughs> you're going to see this season, other than you know sitting in the back of the room and going... Yeah, you can totally do that. That would absolutely happen. Yeah, you can keep going. It's usually a lot worse than that.
2: Was there anything where you said, no, n- absolutely very not? Very rarely,
6: very rarely. It was usually, yeah, you can make it You can make it more dramatic than that.
2: So what was it like having a, a real CEO in the writer's room?
5: It was, it was amazing, and we get stuck yes. a lot because we try and hew as much as we can to reality, and a lot of times we'll come up with something and we're like, all right, we better call some people and ask them whether this would actually happen or not, and having him in the room was amazing because as we were thinking of things we could yeah. be looking at him going, is this real? Would this happen? And
2: I imagine, I mean, you're an improv comedian by background. I imagine this was also kind of fun.
6: Yeah. So was this like I, a dream come true? No, it was a hundred percent. You know, I think it was, it was about three weeks before I deigned to suggest, you know, I thought I would have things I think this, you know, this would kind of, I have an idea for a line, but everyone in the room is so talented and funny and you know, coming up with these amazing things that it was a while before I even, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got right. some back Dangers. in the room.
2: And as <laughs> I understand it, Mike, you've said oh, no. that you actually did draw on Dick's own experience leaving Twitter. Is that yeah, true? Yeah,
1: and, and replacing people at Twitter. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, now I mean, it was great because, well, not only uh, Dick used to be a programmer, so there's occasionally technical questions, but also yeah. the big moves of people being fired and hired and, you know, just all the ins and outs of this world. Uh, it's just great having somebody right there. I mean, we had all read the Twitter book and, and uh, you know, sometimes I'd find myself going, well, in, in the book, uh, oh, yeah, no, he's right yeah. here.
0: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, Dick, you obviously, you and I have talked about how you had to deal with a lot of scrutiny, a lot of public scrutiny at Twitter, as does, you know, Richard and, and Pied Piper. Uh, Twitter has been portrayed in a certain way by the media, by certain authors. Uh, is the dysfunction, is it as dysfunctional inside as it is portrayed? In public
6: look i think the reality of what goes on inside these companies is always a lot different than however however it's portrayed in the media whether it's being portrayed as things are going amazingly well or it's being portrayed as things are really dysfunctional the reality is always completely completely different on on either side
2: now twitter is responsible for driving major changes in the way we watch television and the way we consume media you know when you guys were building the show you know what did you think about Netflix and Amazon and why did you ultimately decide to go with HBO
1: well I mean it it, this started out with uh, kind of a it was always gonna be HBO it started out originally as them pitching me the idea idea of doing a show about gamers and game developers and
2: HBO, HBO,
1: TV. yeah. And I so, had and thought about that, and I don't know that world well enough, and that's a world where if you get it wrong, boy, they, they'll just <laughs> eat you alive, yes. those people. <laughs> and I thought I'd stand a better chance against programmers. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it was always going to be HBO.
2: What do you think about the whole binge viewing? I mean, would you ever want to put all the episodes out there at once? Is that...
1: Yeah, oh, you mean... oh, yeah. the, oh the way um, Netflix does. Who knows? I mean, that's kind of HBO's decision, um, and they're you know there's HBO now, and it's all changing. So yeah,
5: I suppose it's possible.
2: How much creative freedom do they give you guys? Unlimited. Do they ever say just it's... only two dick jokes this season? No,
5: no. They they'll no, take it's... all the dick jokes. <laughs> yeah. <out>. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean there's the, they don't they don't cap the dick jokes at all. It's it's uncapped. Um, no, they're great. They're great. There's no limitations. There's no <coughs> content <clears throat> issues.
2: They're now. One of your writers uh, for the movie Idiocracy tweeted recently, I never expected Idiocracy to become a documentary, a a jab at Donald Trump. Are you surprised by how far Trump has made it? (laughs) Didn't expect that Uh, one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised.
2: Anyone? Anyone? Um, (laughs) Well, how about this, Dick? Nick Bilton, who wrote the Twitter book, just wrote a piece in Vanity Fair alleging that Silicon Valley created Donald Trump, specifically social media, and we know how often Trump uses Twitter. What do you think of that allegation?
6: Well, I think he understands how to use those platforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, I'm referring to. Um, You know, he's. Uh, quick to tweet very early in the morning sort of before the press cycle has gotten going so he can be out there in front of it and then the press cycle becomes about whatever it was he wrote it four in the morning or something like that and so i think he's just got an understanding of how to think about and leverage these platforms in a way that he's used to his advantage he
2: suggests pulling the plug on social media entirely in order to prevent a trump I don't know, of Trump's oh, future.
6: Oh, Nick. No, Bill- Nick. Bill- yeah, oh, Nick yeah. is proposing well, that. Nick's crazy and he's wanted by the authorities.
2: <laughs> Executive producers of Silicon Valley, Mike Judge and Alec Berg, and Dick Costello, former CEO of Twitter, who was a consultant to the show in the writer's room. Now, um, interesting comments there from Dick Costolo about Trump and... If anybody has won in this election so far, it's Twitter.
3: Yeah, it's really true. I mean, despite Twitter's struggles in the public markets, with users, with revenue, I mean, what other social platform out there is relevant? And the interesting thing, and perhaps it's scary to some people, you know, new presidential uh, victors are often minted historically by their mastery of new mediums. I mean, we look, you look back at JFK and television and, you know, Bill Clinton and the, and the, and the internet. And here Donald Trump has figured out something that it just seems like no other candidates or campaigns have mastered.
2: You know, it's also interesting when you think about it in the context of what will Twitter be, you know, maybe it doesn't become this, you know, Facebook sized, platform but it is a, sm- a smaller platform where influencers say what they have to say and it gets out there uh, through through the media and through other influencers and that's what Twitter is that's
3: right maybe it's enough for Twitter that the media follows it obsessively you know follows obsessively obsessively their own follower accounts and it's just a way to kind of feed the news cycle and that's what Donald Trump appears to have figured out and
2: by the way you can follow me on Twitter at Emily Chang TV Brad at, at Bradstone. <laughs> Now, before we go, I think we have to talk about the fact that Silicon Valley was almost a show about gamers. In fact, that's what, that's what HBO actually wanted Mike Judge to do, and he said, actually, how about a show about Silicon Valley?
3: Yeah, I think this has turned out to be a little bit more entertaining than the original concept.
2: So, Brad, what is it like to be a, a real-life Hollywood star?
3: Yes, it was not the attention and adulation that I had expected. And it may have been because it went by so quickly. I have to say, we went uh, with our significant others to the premiere of the first episode of the season. And, you know, it was great thrill seeing this microsecond of an appearance. And then afterwards... uh, And by the
2: way, a lot of, you know, the real players in Silicon Valley were there. there, As well as the entire cast. They, They did a discussion on stage. They are incredibly hilarious and what you don't realize is all of the things that don't make the cut they're you know amazing comedians amazing at improv amazing at riffing off each other they're really really funny
3: it was great it was a fun night but afterwards when the credits rolled uh, a friend of mine was sitting in the audience and must have seen our names in the credits and texted me are you involved with the show in some way? Because the cameo had gone by so quickly they didn't recognize it. But it was, it was still a fun to be involved.
2: If you fast forward through the show, you can pause and, and watch it in slow motion. I promise we're there. Anyway, it's a great show and I'm a huge fan and I can't wait to see the rest of the season. And by the way, that is it for the postseason of Studio 1.0. Brad, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us for the last few episodes, did you have fun?
3: Thank yeah, I did, Emily. Thank you for including me, and and what a tremendous lineup of guests that you had this season.
2: Um. Make sure that you subscribe to the Studio 1.0 podcast. We've got an entire library of all the shows we've ever done. Uh, You can listen to it all. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. And don't forget to leave us a rating. It will help more listeners discover our content. And I want to give a shout-out to our amazing staff, our editor, Aaron Black, our producer, Pia Gakkari, our entire technical crew. Um, Keep following me and Brad on Twitter, at EmilyChangTV and at Brad Stone. We'll see you next time.
1: Brought to you by BASF. We create chemistry.